Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Royals podcast supported by our good friends at Blue Collar Street Food. Well, we have changed it all up today. We are talking about a 3-1 win versus Bristol City, a fantastic performance, especially in that second half. And we have a very special guest. Uh, it's in fact the host, who's now a guest, Paul Mann. Hello, Paul. Yeah, I wasn't meant to be on this one today, was I? But I got pulled in by the fact that we had a fantastic win. So why did I get involved? I thought it'd be a good chance for me to ask you the questions uh, for, for a change, just so you can see what it's like to be on the other side. And we also have uh, someone to keep the peace. It's Alex Everson. I'm just here as a nice spectator, to be honest, but between, the, <laughs> between the two of you. We, we love your contributions as always, Alex. You always have uh, interesting insights and we'll get on to some of those. Uh, firstly, uh, talk about the starting lineup today. So we were returning, we've had a bit of a bad run, uh, not one in a few games and into the starting lineup, I think most fans were calling for it, uh, was Michael Elise. What, what do we think, Paul, when we saw the starting lineup? Delighted. Straight away. Had to come back in, didn't he? Samedo has been okay, but I don't think he really fits that central attacking midfielder position. I think he's better a little bit deeper, but kind of his performance showed why he should be in the team, didn't he, Eric? It was it was pretty, pretty spectacular. And yeah, more of that to come. Another, I suppose, um smaller headline, but was that Tom Holmes kept his place, Alex. Yeah, and Tom Holmes is Really, really impressive again today. Um, and overall, we looked really, really solid at the back. But Tom Holmes especially was, yeah, kind of just very, very solid once again. So I can see him kind of nailing that place down. And with the um, with the with the news about Yeardum potentially being out for a little while now, and you can you can see Holmes kind of taking that right back spot as his own with Richards on the left, and you've kind of got the academy filling in at both wingback spots, which is really, really excellent to see. Yeah, absolutely solid performance from Tom Holmes. And yeah, Estevez will have some work to, to get back into the side for sure. Um, on to um, Bristol City. They had our arch nemesis, Naki Wells and, and Chris Martin on the bench. Were you relieved about that, Paul? Uh, yes, very relieved. We were having a chat before talking about Naki Wells, weren't we, in the WhatsApp group saying, oh, how many goals has he actually scored against us? And uh I said he hasn't scored many recently, and then bang, <laughs> of course he scores, doesn't he? I will point out, technically it was offside, so maybe it shouldn't have counted. But yeah, Chris Martin also had a good opportunity, didn't he? Straight afterwards. But I was glad to see him not starting. For sure, yeah. I mean, they've, they've got uh, quite a few attacking options, Bristol City, and they were on a on a decent run of form above us in the table, Alex. Yeah, um, they, they've only, I, I think they've only lost one in five, was it, before today? Yeah. And uh, they they kept three clean sh- or two clean sheets in a row and going for the third today as well. Um, so definitely they were on a very nice run of form. So to uh, to be able to come away with three points is it was really impressive in all honesty. But it was more the manner of the performance which was uh, more impressive certainly. Yeah, we we've had a difficult run of fixtures, you know, against some some really solid sides. And um, I, I don't know if you could tell in the first half if if that was reflective of the the performance in the first half. So certainly the first thirty minutes it was a it was a bit of a quiet one, and then it livened up a little bit with uh, with a, a, a Yaku Mate overhead kick. But what, what did you make of the first half? I thought it was quite mature the first 30 minutes or so. It seemed to be like the manager's learning. Panovic is kind of adapting slightly. And he's learning. Once say we've gone kamikaze matches, only when we're behind, and I kind of understand that. But we looked like we'd filled in all the gaps. Defensively, we looked really tight again. And we did have a little bit of threat apart from the Mate 
overhead kick, scissor kick, whatever you want to call it. But they couldn't deal with Mate at all. He was our biggest threat, I would say, in that first half. And it wasn't Bristol City pressing us at all. They just, they looked pretty poor, to be honest, didn't they? Yeah. I, I, th- I, I think Bristol City looked good when they were on the ball. Um, but they didn't do anything with it, really. Uh, and I, I got, we got to half time and I kind of felt like it was a game where, although they probably edged it on possession and, and maybe even territory, they didn't create anything in that first half. And, and most of that was down to us not really letting them do anything. I, I don't even remember Raphael touching the ball, let alone making a save in the first half. Um, and, that, and that's just, you know, testament to how good the defence was. Yeah, I was, um, I was a bit surprised, sorry, Alec, at the end of at, at half time to to see Sky had what well, at the end of the first half they called a penalty claim for for Bristol City. I thought it was a good tackle by Moore. What did you What did you think? No, I was yeah really lost on that one. They 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 pulled it up at half time and I was they said, oh yeah, we're going to look at the penalty claim. I was like, which penalty claim? I have no idea what you're referring to. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought Moore pretty clearly won the ball I was surprised I, it, it felt like they were just needed something to show which was Bristol City related at half time then and that was kind of the one one time the ball kind of fell into the box for them and that's you know they had to try and make something of it because it definitely wasn't a penalty um, it, so yeah it didn't really seem like a particularly uh, particularly good shout from Sky to stick that up at half time but this is yeah. the same Sky that claimed that our owner said that he definitely wants us to get promoted this season and die young never speak. So that would be quite yeah, interesting I'm, how they know that. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure I must have missed some, you know, special phone call between Sky and Die Young, where they've, you know, had this discussion. It's yeah, I think Die uh, Young's missed that one as well. It's quite amazing, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. It's, it's those mysterious Sky sources. You know, <laughs> yeah, Twitter sources and in inverted commas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, on to the second half. I think nil nil in the first half. We we had a couple of half chances, but then the game really came to life. We had an early chance from uh, from Mate, where Joao could perhaps have got to the rebound, and then on fifty four minutes. Um, it was a bit of a quick throw from Mate off a counter-attack. Uh, he gives the ball to Joao, and Joao takes on, I don't know, a couple of defenders, passes it over to Ajaria, and it's a goal. Talk us through it, Paul. What did you feel? What did you think? That's the same Ajaria shot I've seen about 100 times, and he hasn't even been here that long. And uh, it kind of, we saw one again later in the game as well, right at the end. Thankfully, he got a deflection and goes in. He's got to vary that shot. It's worked out this time with a little bit of luck, but he needs to go for the other corner. He consistently goes for that far corner. If he goes to the one nearer, but we scored and that is all that matters. But Lucas Jow, can we just kind of like appreciate how magic his hold-up play was today? It was fantastic. I always compare him to Dave Kitson, but... I'd say that was another level from Dave Kitson. I, th- I think at that point when he scored, he had, what, four defenders around him before he laid it off to Ajaria. Um, yeah, his hold-up play just outside the penalty area is just ridiculous. And mm. I saw a tweet uh, just before full-time and, and someone had said that, yeah, he's the best all-round striker in the league. And, you know, granted, we're only, what, 13 or 14 games, is it now, into the season? But I think he's got nine or ten goals in the league already. And yet that's not even that's not even kind of his only portion of his game, which he's really good at. He's really good at holding the uh, ball up. He wins flick-ons and he's got a really good partnership with Mate currently, um, who's also scored a decent number of goals. So, yeah, Andy missed a couple of games with that shoulder injury as well. So he hasn't even yeah. played every single minute of every game. So 
amazing return. And the other thing I thought about the Ajaria goal was it lifted his game slightly. He was fairly quiet in the first half, but once he got that goal, he was off flying. What did you think, Alex? Yeah, um, I agree. Ajaria clearly, as we've seen in the past season and a half, he's is a player who relies so heavily on his confidence and um, his willingness to take players on is, is so reliant on that. Getting the goal today is going to have done wonders for him um, because it, it has felt, especially on midweek, he didn't play well midweek. I, it was probably one of his weaker games that I've seen and um, he, he was very sloppy in possession in midweek, but today it was like just complete opposite of that. He looked really good on the ball, um, very creative and he didn't, he, he didn't. He's, he's slowly, I think, getting rid of that um, that trait which he definitely had last year of holding on to the ball for too long and then not willing to let go of it. He's he's become much more uh, quick minded and, and decision making has just gone up up a level compared to last year. And I think yeah, once he got that goal, he was much more alive in the game, and uh, it, it will be good to see him kind of get that run in the team now he's got a goal this season. Uh, I think it might be his second goal this season, but got another goal this season after he's kind of had maybe what you could consider a bad or poor patch for Ajaria just to, um, yeah, now you'll be able to see him hopefully go on and uh, kick on with his run of form in the next few weeks before Christmas. Yeah. As I said to Matt Joy, sorry there, if we have Swift, Elise and Ajaria in the same team, and Jack. How do you even fit them all in, though? Yeah, I know, but the thing is... Because then you're, then you're saying you have to drop Mate, right? Like, and it's, yeah, I know. Uh, what, you've what, got the options brilliant just option. Ridic- yeah, the options for Panovic are just going to be ridiculous once Swift is back. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah really- I was going to say, onto, the, onto just after the hour mark, we had a, an interesting tackle by Bristol City's Taylor Moore. Um, I think the referee was a, a little bit suspect today, personally. What, what did you make Blind. of that? And also the the challenge uh, uh, from Chris Martin on on Liam Moore. Both red cards. I don't even have to think about it straight away. The first one, he's out of control. That's a straight red, two-footed. There's no justification for that not being a red. And the second one, that's a red from Chris Martin as well because he's just raked it down the back of his leg. And Don Goodman, the biggest Red Enough fan, son, Red NFC fan, we know even he thought it was a red card. So, I mean, that is, uh, even he said, I'd be happy to get a yellow for that. So, no doubt, the refs had an absolute shocker there. And the linesman also uh, made it slightly worse a little bit later, didn't they? But we'll come on to that in a minute, I'm sure. Yeah, I was going to say after that after that event, I think we kicked on. We had a couple of chances. We had a, a heavy touch from Mate for from a, a Rinomoto through ball, and then we also had a, a Holmes header that Morrison missed a tap in. When when those didn't go in, Alex, did you think this is just set up for an equaliser? It was set. It was honestly, it was set up for a draw. Holmes had a great header from what was it? It was about sixteen yards out, and the keeper made a fantastic save just before Holmes then pulled it back for Morrison as well. Um, yeah. And it, we, we had like two or three chances in the space of a minute where I was sitting there going, how is this not 2-0? The game should be done. It should be over by now. And um, just after Morrison didn't manage to get his feet right for that, like, and he was, what, two yards out or something, and he, the ball just kind of squirmed past him. And just after that, my brother texted me and said, I've just stuck a fiver on us to draw because this is just inevitable that Bristol City are going to score. Yeah. Um, and you could you could see it coming. You could see it well. I say you could see it coming. It was typical Reading, rather than you could see it coming. It was typical Reading that we'd had probably eight, seven, eight really good chances in the game, and we were one nil up, and we were bound to concede a goal, which was just completely fluky. 
Yeah, only only five minutes after the uh, the the Mate miss, the sort of first miss, they get a a suspect free kick. I mean, Josh Laurent got punished a couple of times for things that I I don't particularly consider free kicks. And lo and behold, Paul talk us through the Bristol City equaliser. It was frustrating. Was offside as well. Been. Yeah, again, <laughs> offside. A good crossing from Brunt. So it's, I think it's first touch after coming on for as a substitute. He's he's very good at set pieces. So that concerned me straight away. Puts into the box. Bristol City heads it down. He's offside. So really should be stopped at that point. But we don't have VAR. Probably a good thing. But also, <laughs> Naki Wells then follows up. All Red and F fans think, why is Naki Wells alive? I'm sick at the sight of seeing him. Get him out of my life. But, oh, that was a worrying moment when that went in. Because I would have been... Uh, I just want to say sick as a parrot. I can't think of anything that's uh, okay to say, but if that had gone in, it'd be 1-0. But yeah, that was a horrible horrible moment. Absolutely clear offside. But also question marks on Raphael, Alex. What do you think? I mean, I feel like he could have grabbed the ball, but frankly, given that Wells was offside, and it wasn't just Wells offside, it was all of the other players who'd run into head of the ball to begin with. They were all offside as well. So... uh, Maybe maybe Raphael could grab the ball, but frankly, you know, Wells has got there first. And I guess it's just one of those things. Um, I think in the heat of the moment, I probably would have said, yeah, Raphael could be blamed for that. But actually looking back at it, I think it's a little harsh to put any blame on him. Um, it's just one of those things where the goalkeepers tried to get the ball and not got there first, that's all. Lansley yeah. would blame him. And I think from my <laughs> point of view, the, the real positive is that you know, we conceded the goal, but only a few minutes later, you know, we in recent weeks we've capitulated, but within a few minutes, um, Michael Elise gets the ball just inside our half and he plays an absolutely sublime ball. Paul, you described it quite interestingly before we started this recording. How did you describe the pass from Elise through to Mate? I said it was Gilfie-esque and it really was. I've said that about Swift when he first joined, but... This kid, Elise, has got something special in him. Um, He's not going to play at this level every single week, but that pass, the outside of the foot, the perfect way, direction, that was just... And a pressure moment. We're not winning 3-0 at that point. This is a big pass straight through to Yakumete. Didn't even have to break stride, did he? It was perfection for him. If you look at that and you're a scout from a big club, you're thinking... I like this player a lot because his whole performance was superb today. Application, consistency. He ticks all of the boxes, doesn't he? He ticks all of the boxes. For for a big club, he ticks all the boxes. He's young, he's got potential, and he's gone through an academy which has got a lot of track record. Both Man City, firstly, and then Reading's academy. He's got a lot of, uh, like a lot of the boxes are being ticked for a club to come in and sign him in, you know, nine months' time when the season's over and spend big money on him. He's also showing he's got the right attitude because he learns and he's picking it up really quickly. He's not a sulker. You know, he's 18 years old. I'm sure he does sulk a bit sometimes. I mean, uh, even I do at 45. But it's kind of like, it's a real talent that they look for now when they're signing players is that personality is, is key as well as the ability. But yeah, Michael Elise, I'd enjoy him while he's there because I don't think he's going to be here very long. And, and fully justified starting him at number 10, which is his favourite position. He's been playing on the wing quite a bit and still contributed, but today he played in that number 10 role and he was behind a lot of what was good for good for Reading. 
just wonderful. I, yeah. I could talk about Michael Lise for a whole hour <laughs> quite easily. <laughs> Let's hope we do that across the season. But on um, a few minutes after the goal, we, we had one of the, nearly one of the strangest goals we've ever seen at the Medesi Stadium. Uh, Omar Richards had a shot. And, and then what happened, Alex? <laughs> yeah, so the deflection uh, from, from Richards' shot smashes off the bar. The keeper seems to end up tangled up in the back of the net and ball seems to bounce back out off the bar to Mate and he's seven, six yards out. And inexplicably, somehow, and because he scored, I'm not going to lay into him. He scored the <laughs> second goal and I'll give him good props. It was a very good goal. Well done, Yax. Uh, you know, great, great job. But how do you miss that? <laughs> like you're seven yards out. There's not the keeper's not even going to be able to get there, even if you just control. You could control it. You could probably sit down. You know, make yourself a copper. You're still going to score. Like I just that I is one of the weirdest misses yeah. I've ever seen. I, I have a theory. I think he saw the keeper tangled up in the goal, and it just made him panic. I think that's what happened. What do you think, Paul? I think maybe a little bit of fatigue at that point. I think you remember he's been out for a long time and uh, I've been very kind to Yaku mate. Too, really. yes, you know, <laughs> I think so. At that yeah, point, I think, I, think missed, that's quite kind. I was fuming. <laughs> I was like, how can you miss that? And you'll kind of get that sick feeling, don't you? This is going to be one of those games when we're going to just make mistake after mistake and it's going to cost us. But the moment I think this like big one that we didn't talk about was the moment that the Bristol City had just before they scored, before we scored our second one, when Rowe had a great chance to hit it on his right foot and just didn't take it. And he just, if we'd have taken yeah, that, ball, we talk the about ball gets game. laid back to him. He's, you can mm. see that's a midfielder running onto the ball there when when he runs into it, because he's, if that's a striker, they just hit it first time. And uh, you can see it's a midfielder who's running into the box when, when he... he well, he taps it with his he taps it with his right foot to try and then hit it on his left, and he's you know takes one touch too many. And as soon as he does that, you think you should have just done that. You should have hit it that first time and at least tried to get a get a shot away. And uh, that's a, that was a big opportunity for for City, which they they squandered. Exception by Morrison, and he he was colossal today. I think both the centre halves against their two physical strikers, Paul. Oh yeah, no, they were brilliant. They were back to their best, both of them. I mean, Liam Moore took a knock in the first half, which looked quite worrying at the time, didn't it? Kind of like his throw, he didn't look happy with that. But I can't point out any mistakes that they made. Um, maybe that is because they had proper protection, I think, from both Rinomoto and Brain Lawrence as well, I'm trying to think as well. But it's a kind of... Really enjoyable seeing performances that we saw at the beginning of the season against a team that's third in the league. Let's not forget, we're not playing a team that's down the bottom here and a team that doesn't concede many goals. And we've got three. And if we would have got four or five today, would we have been unhappy? Would it have been unfair? I think it would have been a fair result. So the the, the one thing I would I would say uh, about today's defensive performances, I, I genuinely would put that as probably the best defensive performance of the season. Even though we didn't keep a clean sheet, I think that was yeah. by far the best defensive performance we've had all year. Um, then, Br- Bristol City are a team right up at the top of the league, mm. and we've limited them to what one shot? I think the entire game. Demenia wasn't it? He he did nothing. He's a really good player, but he had one shot, which really. And it, 
yeah. And it, and it shows up, it shows up just to, you know, I know this word is actually banned on the Unpipe Rolls podcast, but the XG was really good for Reading, both going forwards and at the back. So, you know. Yeah. Good afternoon, suck Ryan. On, suck, on, <laughs> suck on that second tier podcast. <laughs> and the cherry on the icing on the cake was 92 minutes. I know Paul said that Yakumate was fatigued. I think we can disprove that pretty quickly. He intercepts the ball. And then Alex, talk us through that one. Yeah, so I mean, Mate's run to uh, to to set up this third goal. He he must have run about forty yards on onto the ball. Um, I, who passed the ball into Mate? It was an interception. Mate intercepted. Oh, interception. Okay, yeah. So um, yeah, the the run which he actually takes on the the Bristol City left back or the left centre back. Um, I was thinking, oh, just run it in the corner. You're fine. Don't don't you don't need to do anything here. And he puts the ball into the box, and it, as soon as Zhao picks up that ball in the box, you know he's going to score. It it was so, uh, so like carbon copy of some of the other goals that that Zhao has scored this season. It was really similar to, I think, the goal in Cardiff he scored, where he turns and spins and hits it as he's spinning, basically. It was, um, yeah, just a really nice finish by Zhao and really good run by Meite. And to be honest, those two up front, I know Meite's not technically playing up front as a second striker, um, but he seems to definitely have that like partnership with Zhao. And those two together have been just a menace for every single defence we've played when they've both been on the field. And I think having Mate back is probably the biggest reason that we have looked more competitive in the last two games is that Mate is back. Um, and we don't have to rely on uh, right back coming forwards to try and provide width on that right-hand side because Mate does it. Um, whereas obviously when he was out, Estevez was kind of like having to provide width going forwards and also defend because we were playing a Luco or a Lisa. Like we were playing someone out of position essentially on that right-hand side and it wasn't necessarily working. And I think having Mate back is just, it's just been, you know, wonderful to see him back on the field. Yeah. Um, How did you celebrate that goal for? I know I jumped up and... uh... I jumped up and, and screamed the house down and got told off by my children. Uh, did you, <laughs> did you did you celebrate in in any particular fashion? A pretty similar, but I've no children here, so it's fine. Had <laughs> the off. finger guns out, Lucas Yao doesn't need. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult to, to not overreact about Lucas Yao, but best scoring season in his career so far, Paul. Oh, he just looks brilliant. Um. <sighs> I know there's plenty of other strikers in the championship, but he has got to be seriously talked about as one of the top ones in the championship. Because was that nine league goals and four assists? That's exceptional play. Um, and not only that, his link-up play, everything. We all know about Lucas Jow now. And the way when he got, like Alex said, when he received the ball in that position, you were thinking, goal, goal. This is what's happening here. And if it isn't, I'm going to be very, very surprised. So... I think if you were thinking, who would you want in your team? I think it'd be really tough between Lucas Jow and Pookie at Norwich now. I think he'd be a real contender. I don't even think it's a, that's not even a contest, Paul. Really? Quality's playing the Premier League and got goals, though. Doesn't, no, I'm sorry. This season, if you if I was saying tomorrow I have to have a striker to play up front in the championship, I'm taking Lucas Jow over Pookie I every day well. of the week at the minute. I would as well. It's I, not even, I don't even think that's a contest. Yeah, well, who else goals. would you say for the championship then? Would you? I think Pookie's a good finisher, but his overall play is Ivan, not- I, Ivan Tony. Yeah. I would probably take Ivan Tony. I think Ivan Tony and, and Armstrong are the only other players who've scored more than Zhao. Uh, they've both got twelve, and Zhao's on nine. Tony's on they penalty. Don't, 
those aren't yes. And they don't they don't assist as much as Zhao. I think Zhao's all round game is probably better than those two, uh, at least outside of finishing. But they've all got thirteen goal contributions, goals and assists combined between them. Um, they've all got thirteen. So I would take Zhao over Puki every day of the week at the minute. Not even a contest. There's a lot of Norwich in my house. You know that, Alex. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. I think um, Sky gave the Man of the Match award to, to Joao after the game, but you could argue that the Man of the Match for Elise, for Mate. What did you think, Alex? Who was your Man of the Match? Um, it's, that's really tough. Uh, like you said, you can give it to Mate, Joao, Elise. I think uh, we saw a couple of people on the Periscope uh, this afternoon suggesting potentially Holmes was very good as well. Um, yeah. I would probably go with Elise. I think he was our kind of creative outlet in the game. Um, and had created a lot of chances. I think Zhao and Mete both played very well. Uh, however, they did have, I think between them, I think they had eight shots on target between them today. So inevitably, if you have that many shots, you're probably going to score at some point. So, you know, it's one of those kind of uh, result result kind of things where if you, if you end up having a lot of shots, you're going to score, and that doesn't necessarily mean you were man of the match. Um so I would probably go for Elise myself. I think he was fantastic. And yeah, playing him in that number 10 role is definitely suiting him. Yeah. Even though I dislike it, I'll agree with Sky. I thought Jao was brilliant. Uh, hold up play for a Jarius goal. Um, what do you think, Paul? Who would you pick? I'd just be different and go Elise. Um, I should call him Elise as well. It's Elise because he cleared that up. So anyone who's been listening to this, oh. I'm correcting oh, myself. Michael. It's Elise. Yeah, Elise. I would Elise. go for him just on the basis that him back in that position allowed us to play triangles around the penalty area. And we hadn't seen that for a long time. He did all the other great stuff and the free kicks and the setting up goals and all that. He does that when I even think about it, I think now. But... He just his general play really helped the whole formation. Obviously, Yaku Mate is a part of that, but for me, I'll give it to Elise. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we're up to I think third in the table before the three o'clock kickoffs. I think we're fourth as it stands because Watford are winning, so we'll see where we end up. But on paper, we we have a bit of a, a an easier run, I suppose, compared to recent games coming up. Alex, what do you think of the games coming up? We've got Sheffield Wednesday next, and then we've got Nottingham Forest at home. Yeah, I've got two home games after that Wednesday game in midweek, Forest and Birmingham. So all those three, all three teams there are in the bottom half. Forest have been dire this season so far, and they're missing Graben as well, which has got to be a positive for us when we face them next week. And um, I think Sheffield Wednesday will be a tougher game than perhaps people are thinking. I, I, I know they're still in the relegation zone, but they've they've obviously had that twelve point deduction. Tony Peters has come in, and they'll be a tough kind of beat. Uh, but I don't think they'll necessarily be all that creative either going forward. So if we can pick up five points in the next three games, five or six, I think that would be a really good return. Again, keeps up that two point per game average, which we're just underneath at the minute. And, you know, if you end up getting two points a game across the season in this league, you're probably going to get promoted. So, Yeah. And and I suppose one positive that that is coming back is uh, is some fans. Uh, next week against Nottingham Forest, we're in uh, in Tier 2 in Reading, so potentially 2,000 fans at the Medeski. Uh, one thing that's not coming back, Paul, is our good friends at, at Blue Collar Street Food. There was some news about that in the week, and I think quite a big reaction from uh, from the Reading fan base, especially on social media. Yeah, I can't believe that there's a petition for Glenn 
<laughs> it's quite amazing. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's obviously, uh, I I think, obviously completely biased. I'm friends with Glenn of Blue Collar Street Food. And yeah, I think it's disappointing that it's not going to happen. I understand the club have done this and they have all the different reasons. But as a fan, just going to the match... I really enjoyed the atmosphere. Forget all the food. There was something at the game that was something that was ours and the way fans would go there as well. Because let's be honest, the Medeski Stadium experience outside the ground is grim if you don't have something there like that. It's not that great at all. And I'm sure the Compass Compass will come up with some kind of alternative, but it will not have heavenly sausage. And if there's no heavenly sausage... There's no party, is there? <laughs> I think no sausage, no party. Okay. Yeah, we found it? our name for this episode. Brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think um, I, I think it's it's sad, right? We we, is, we yeah. we're friends with Blue Collar, but even if you look at the reaction from just random fans, Alex, the, the, there was quite a strong reaction this week. Yeah, I mean, for myself, it's one of those things where turning up to games. Per, from a personal standpoint, turning up to games generally before Blue Collar were around, I would turn up to the game at 2.50 or 2.55, go straight up to my seat and that was, you know, I'd watch the game and then leave. Uh, since Blue Collar were around, I've kind of made myself an excuse to buy myself lunch every week when I'm there. Buy myself lunch, stand around for an hour, chat to people, uh, have a pint and it gives me a reason to go to the game early and uh, from a per, uh, you know, from a from a financial perspective for the club, I think that's kind of isn't that what you want? You want people to be at your at, like at your venue spending money. Um, so it'll be yeah. I mean, it'll be a change when fans are back and they won't be around because I think there will be less kind of buzz, as as it were, outside the ground, which is unfortunate. Um, we'll have to see what Compass or the club or whoever takes on the outside blue catering come up with um yeah. and kind of go go from there i guess i know i've been i've been told off on this podcast before for for pushing blue collar street for too uh <laughs> for too much but i think in this instance it's it's allowed you know we will miss it hopefully the club somewhere down the line can change their minds and bring it back we won't know um but you know we'll, we'll see what happens on that one if, um, if anyone, can, one if thing, anyone can, i gotta say that glenn's really touched by all the support he's had it's really made him kind of like um, appreciate everything that everyone said about him and all the petitions. I joke about it, but it's really kind of given him a bit of a lift about it because it was a dream of his totally. And he put his heart and soul into this project and he had so many things, plans for him to improve it. And we have spent, me personally, I've spent so many drinks talking about this with him. And it's been a great excuse to go out drinking with him, though he is a bit of a lightweight. But don't put that out there, okay? <laughs> so, yeah. Perfect time. I think let's try and end that on a on a semi positive note. We'll 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 miss Blue Collar Street Food. We'll miss you, Glenn. Uh, hopefully, you'll be back. Uh, we'll be back in I suppose midweek after the Sheffield Wednesday game with um, some reaction. Uh, see how we can get up uh, get on up at Hillsborough. Uh, big game coming up. But for now, our weekend is made. Three one win. Uh, thanks everyone, and we'll speak to you soon. Come on, you ours. <laughs>